Let's jump in here. We have Don Watkins on the line with us. We're talking about the moral case for fossil fuels. This is our health and hydrocarbon show, and this is brought to you by Liberty Oilfield Services. Don Watkins, thank you so much for joining the Americhicks with Kim Munson. It really is a pleasure. I am so excited to talk with you uh, because uh, fossil fuels, hydrocarbons have been getting a really bad rap, particularly here in Colorado. We've got our hands full with uh, people trying to shut down the oil and gas industry. And uh, this book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, is fascinating. You worked with Alex Epstein on this. You were his editor, which, you know, that's so important. So tell us a little bit about what you do with the Center for Industrial Progress, and then let's talk about the book. So uh, I've been friends with Alex for a long time, for well over a decade, and he was a, a mentor for mine. I've written on numerous different business and economic issues. And about 13 or 14 years ago, he became really interested in in this issue of energy because energy is the industry that powers every other industry. And so if we get good decisions in the realm of energy, everything in our lives becomes better. And if we make bad decisions, everything becomes worse. But one of the things that he saw was the way we were thinking about energy was not really focused on what will improve human flourishing, that when it came to energy and environmental issues, we're taught to be green, which means to minimize our impact on nature. And so what you really get is a big anti-development streak and anti-energy abundance. Whereas if you're focused on what will actually improve human flourishing, you don't want to minimize your impact. You want to maximize your positive impact and minimize your negative impact. And so if you're thinking about energy in that way that's looking at both the costs and the benefits of different sources of energy, Alex came to the conclusion that actually we should be using more fossil fuels, not less. And just his enthusiasm and clarity in the issue uh, took me from somebody who was not interested in energy at all into somebody who really wanted to champion energy abundance. And as you mentioned, this is crucial for Colorado because Colorado could be a leading energy producer. And instead, there are many companies, oil and gas companies based in the state who don't operate in the state because it has become so hostile towards uh, energy production from fossil fuels. Well, and let's talk about human flourishing. You know, uh, there was uh, somebody had sent me, uh, I think it was uh, thoughts from a hipster. This was a young woman who is, uh, I think, in her late 20s that said this generation doesn't know uh, non-prosperity, I guess, if you will. You know, that things have always been pretty good, and so we take it for granted. They don't realize that just what what contributes to making life so good for us. And uh, and then there's been this, as you mentioned, this whole green movement. Uh, and um, I think where I'm headed with this question is, what about our young people that think it's virtuous to, quote-unquote, be green, when in essence, as you're talking about, human flourishing, I think, is more virtuous? How would you address that, Don Watkins? Well, I would say that part of what has made young people uh, really embrace the green movement to the extent they have is precisely because they've never been offered an alternative ideal. So what you've generally had is that you have the green idealism, which young people are tend to be very idealistic. And then you have people who say, well, look, we agree with you that, yeah, it would be great to be green. Yes, it would be great to ha- you know minimize our footprint, and minimize our impact. But we have to be practical this creates jobs, this creates prosperity, 
versus what we think is that, no, there's, there's a superior ideal, one that doesn't ask us to surrender prosperity and flourishing, but one that widens our perspective to see that impacts on nature are only one consideration in the broader goal of making human life as good as possible. And a core part of making human life, including our environment, as good as possible is energy abundance. So if you think about, for instance, um, who has a better environment, people 300 years ago or people today? I mean, there's no question that today we have so much more clean water. We have cleaner air because we, it's not filled with disease from you know animal dung, from burning fires in our homes. We've, we've been able to use energy to massively improve our naturally dirty environment. And so the wider issue here is that if you offer a superior ideal, rather than granting and conceding that idealism lies with those who want to stop development, who want to stop industrial progress, I think that that can be very appealing. And certainly we've seen it be very appealing to young people and to older people as well. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to work with Alex is I've never seen so many people, including people who were dyed-in-the-wool environmentalists, say, you've changed my mind. It's very rare that people change their mind on fundamental issues. And when they do change their mind on fundamental issues, it's precisely because they're being offered a superior ideal. They're not being told, yeah, the other side is idealistic, but not very practical. Well, and you you mentioned uh, over the last 300 years, I was actually reading something just the other day about 2,000 years ago. And they said that the life expectancy, I think, of women was around age 30, and I think men was age 34. And, you know, life was really, really hard back then. And um, when Audrey Carlson was on last month, she's with Liberty Oil Field Services, which, you know, they, they, you know, we talk about health and hydrocarbons. She said that in third world countries, once you start to have, you know, um, more affordable energy, once you start to have, you know, uh, hydrocarbons, it frees women up to be able to do other things. Uh, For example, women typically in third world countries have to go out and gather the wood, they have to gather the water, and that takes a lot of time. Once they don't have to do that, they actually have cleaner air, they have cleaner water, and they have more time to do other things. And so there's something really moral about doing that, right, Don? Yeah, I mean, one way to think about it is what is energy? Energy empowers us because it empowers us to use machines to do our work for us. Machines are basically, they're like us in that they need calories in order to function. And so what you can think of as fossil fuels and other sources of energy are machine calories. And the more calories we have for our machines, the more that we're empowered and the less that women and everybody else has to resort to brute physical labor, which ensures that you're going to have a very low standard of living. And, you know, even if you think, uh, and so then the question is, okay, but why fossil fuels? Why can't we just use some other form of energy? And in some situations we can. I mean, I think nuclear power, particularly if it's liberated from a lot of the unnecessary regulations that make it expensive, uh, can be really great for electricity. But fossil fuels have a proven track record of being superior, both in their affordability and their flexibility. That is, they solve virtually every energy challenge, portable power, our ability to create new materials from them, um, the, the, uh, our ability, obviously, to have cheap electricity, and nothing else has been able to touch it. And certainly not today, the most politically correct forms of energy, solar and wind. 
which is if you were really – they have um, far from proven themselves, they've proven themselves unable to supply us with affordable energy because they are intermittent, that they can't – that the fuel source is unreliable and that that makes it completely incapable of powering an industrial civilization. And so insofar as we value energy for precisely the kinds of reasons you mentioned, we have to value the best fuels to supply that energy. And today, I think if you look very carefully at both the positives and the negatives of all the alternatives, our view and the reason why we think there's a moral case for fossil fuels is that for most people, for many uses, they're the best source today and for the foreseeable future. Well, Don Watkins, you had mentioned machines, okay, and how they make our lives better. And I'm just going to talk about something really simple, and that is a washing machine. You know, um, my aunt back in Kansas, on wash day, uh, she would go downstairs. She she had trouble walking. She would go downstairs, and she would spend the whole day washing clothes because, you know, they did not have an electric uh, washing machine at that particular point in time. Now, I mean, that was a whole day that she had to do that. Today, I can have the machine do that for me. Then I can go out and I can throw the dishes in the dishwasher, and they can t- that can take care of that. That also takes a lot of time, and that allows me to do research for my show, to get my show guests, and to do other things. So I become more efficient. And you made this really important point that energy is like calories for a machine, And I have to ask you, we're going to go to break, and I'm going to let this hang out here because you're familiar with what's going on in Colorado. We have a legislature and a governor who are using the force of their power to try to shut down these calories that make our lives better. So I want to ask you if you have any reason why and what we should do about that. So we're going to go to break. This is Kim Munson. I'm talking with Don Watkins. He is the director of education at the Center for Industrial Progress. This is our health and hydrocarbon show brought to you by Liberty Oilfield Services. We'll be right back. Thrilled to be having a conversation with Don Watkins. He is uh, the director of education at the Center for Industrial Progress. Love that. And he is uh, the editor of Alex Epstein's important book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. And, you know, Don Watkins, what you have just described is, is that affordable, reliable, and efficient energy allows us to live bigger and better lives because the energy can be the calories of, uh, of machines that, that allow us to, to become more efficient, if you will, to be able to go, you know, do more. And here in Colorado, we've got politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties that are, are putting in policies that essentially could shut down new oil and gas development right here in Colorado. Any reason, do you, why? What do you think? Why? Well, I mentioned before that the way that we think about different energy sources is that we have to look both at their positives and the negatives. And I've talked about the positive of fossil fuels. That is that they are superior in their ability to supply cheap, plentiful, reliable energy. But people are properly concerned, well, what about the costs? And there's two major costs that people are concerned with, and that is that it has a catastrophic impact on our climate, excuse me, on our climate. And then it has a catastrophic impact on our environment. I've talked a little bit about the environmental issues and the way in which fossil fuels have actually helped us improve our environment, and we've gotten better at using technology to reduce those side effects. Um, in Colorado, there have been 
you know, the, the whole debate over, uh, was it Proposition 112? I always get yep. my numbers mm-hmm. yep. mixed up. Um, was the claim that the, uh, the shale technology, often called fracking, had certain negative health and environmental impacts, and we can talk about that. But then, of course, there's the, the people concerned about what's well, causing ca- uh, catastrophic climate change. And so if you, if you really believe that the, the negatives are as bad as people say they are, and then if you undervalue the positives, then you're going to reach a very different conclusion than we do. And part of our view is why do people reach such a wrong conclusion is because they're often very biased in their thinking about our energy sources. That is, we often only ever hear the negatives about fossil fuels. We only ever hear about pollution and about climate and never the positives. But yet when we talk about um, solar and wind and you know, so-called green technologies, we only ever hear positives. We never hear about their negative impacts. And so if you're, if you're looking through a biased lens, you're not going to be able to reach the right conclusions. And so I, what, what Alex does in the moral case for fossil fuels is he tries to go through and very carefully as best he can look at all of those positives and negatives. And so, you know, we can talk a little bit uh, about that here. But what I really want to stress to people is that it's the framework that's important. It's looking very carefully at the positives and the negatives as precisely as we can in order to determine what energy choices and what fuel sources will be best for human flourishing. Okay. I think I'm going to ask you a big question then when we're talking about negatives. Uh, you know, we, we have, uh, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has quoted that, you know, we're going to burn up uh, in, in 12 years if we don't do something. In the first chapter of the book, The Secret uh, History of Fossil Fuels, you or, or Alex talks about, you know, some of these uh, leading environmentalists like Bill McKibben, and I think, is it uh, Ehrlich? I can't remember his uh, first name yeah, now. Paul Ehrlich. Paul Ehrlich. That 30 years ago, they were uh, predicting that, uh, for example, that that Britain would just almost be underwater and there, it would just be, you know, just an island. Nothing would be going on there. Their predictions have not come true. Can you address that a bit? Because, you know, many of the our young people are buying into this that we're going to burn up in 12 years. And, and if that, in fact, was the case, it would be real, irresponsible to not do something about it. But these people have not, uh, their predictions have not uh, panned out, right? No, they haven't panned out. And so it raises the question of why. And our our view in the end is that they're not actually thinking carefully about the issue. They're not, the, the, the leaders of the environmental movement are not concerned with what will enhance human flourishing they're consumed with what will minimize human impact on the planet, and therefore they're not particularly concerned with making sure that we have the right energy choices. They want to stop the energy that allows us to have a massive, and I would argue overwhelmingly positive, impact on the planet through, through development. I mean, it, um, and so then the question is, well, what really is, you know, it, the fact that they made wrong predictions in the past, of course, does not prove that they're making wrong predictions now. And so, I mean, a good starting point is just to get clarity on, like, well, what do we know and what don't we know about, you know, the climate impact of our use of fossil fuels? And what, what, and the, you know, starting point is that we know that, at least in the lab, there's a warming influence of greenhouse gases like CO2. And so the whole debate is what is the magnitude out in the world when we have a situation where we've increased the atmospheric concentration of CO2 from 0.03 to 0.04% of the atmosphere. And what we've seen in reality so far is a mild warming trend. And what 
what they're predicting, though, is that there's just going to be this runaway point of catastrophic warming. And yet, if you actually look even at the IPCC, which is the, the UN group that's tasked with analyzing climate, now, I don't actually think that, uh, I think there's criticisms that can be leveled at them, but they are not making anything like these predictions of the world is going to end in 12 years and we have to get off fossil fuels. It's that there's going to be costs involved. But you also have to take into account the benefits. And one of the benefits of affordable energy from fossil fuels is that it allows us to adapt to an inherently dangerous climate. And it's not taking seriously the adaptive power of human beings with abundant energy that completely distorts people's uh, understanding of this issue. Because, look, our goal is not an unchanged climate. Our goal is climate safety. And yet if you actually look at what's happened over the last century, as we've gotten more technology thanks to abundant energy, we have become incredibly more safe from climate. That is, uh, climate-related deaths have declined by 98%. And it's not because the climate itself has become so much kinder to us. It's precisely because we have mastered our, the ability to cope with climate. And so we have to try to really figure out as best we can you know, what are going to be the climate impacts of our use of fossil fuels, but we have to also keep in mind that the most important thing, the thing that we can't surrender, is our ability to use energy to cope with uh, our climate. Because if we don't have energy, then no climate is livable. And if we do have abundant energy, then almost any climate is livable. Well, and a quick question. Don't plants live off of CO2? Well, yes. And we've seen global greening. We've seen enhanced uh growth of plants around the planet. And this is part of the point where I said we have to look at the costs and the benefits. Nobody talks about potential benefits from warming. It's as if there were only costs. And now you don't necessarily know from that that the benefits of warming will outweigh the costs. But if you're not looking at both sides, how are you ever going to reach the right decision? Well, and what I think that I hear you say, Don Watkins, is that you are taking an honest look at these energy sources. You're taking an honest look at the the benefits, as you mentioned, as well as the positives and the negatives. And my my other thought is is many people that I, I think are pushing um, really the green movement. Sometimes it seems to me that they don't care about human flourishing. And I I want to know what is their benchmark uh, regarding. You know, is it is you know should the temperature be what it was in 1960? Should it be 1890? What is that benchmark? And it seems to me like they are are kind of using that to stop human flourishing instead of empowering that. Well, I said that the way I think about it is let's have the safest climate, which is not just what is the natural climate doing, but our ability to cope with it. But it, their ideal, not just in climate but in everything, is that the perfect planet, including the perfect temperature or the perfect climate is what would exist if human beings had never existed. And so our whole goal should be, is to be that's what it means to minimize your footprint, is to get the planet into as close a state of human beings not existing as you possibly can. And I think that is a corrupt ideal, because the way that we survive and flourish is precisely by having an impact on the planet, by building New York City rather than leaving it as just a you know empty swamp, and by creating giant energy sources so that, you know, we are not having to spend our lives plodding down to get a few buckets of water that is supposed to last us the day, that we can, you know, have all of the abundance that we have and live the lives that we do today. 
and what you want. And so if you have a movement where the core leadership thinks that that is bad, that that human flourishing through industrial progress is bad, then uh, then that becomes a real serious concern. And what my concern is, is not those people, but their ability to convince us that, that the only alternative is that we're just destroying the planet. And that is not the alternative. The alternative is improving the planet through industrial progress, not and and and, and that's what we're championing at the Center for Industrial Progress. Well, fantastic. We are out of time, Don Watkins. So just your quick final thought, how can people get more information from you? Uh, the best thing to do is to go to industrialprogress.com and sign up for our newsletter where they can every week get the best resources for energy clarity available. Well, that is really terrific. Don Watkins, I'd love to have you back. This is absolutely fascinating and uh, greatly appreciate that. This this idea that instead of... Um, uh, people not flourishing, I mean, your whole message is one of bigger, better, how people can live bigger and better and, and more prosperous lives. And I love that, Don Watkins. It's been a pleasure. Okay, thank you so much.